So it's been two or three weeks since I've been able to stand here and preach, and so in that time I've just been gathering all kinds of material. I can't unload everything on you this morning. So today's sermon has the, it's got a good news, bad news part to it, right? And we've got to begin with the bad news. And as I told you, I don't have a lot of jokes, and so I went searching for good news, bad news jokes on the internet. I found a lot of funny ones, but I can't use them from the pulpit. But I did find this one about the guy that woke up from surgery and the doctor said, look, got bad news, good news. Which you want first? He said, he said, give me the bad news first. He said, well, during the surgery, we had to remove 95 percent of your brain. You're basically just functioning on 5 percent the rest of your life. He said, well, what's the good news? He said, well, the good news is we gave you a New England Patriots jersey. And an Alabama Crimson Tide jersey. <laughs> Alabama Crimson Tide jersey. <laughs> I thought you'd get that. Huh? We're trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll, I'll join you there in just a moment. But I want you to think with me for a moment. In August of 2000, 118 crewmen died when the Russian submarine Kursk sank. 23 of the men survived for a few hours in an isolated chamber of the sub. One of those men, a 27-year-old lieutenant captain. Before he died, though, he wrote a note to his wife while he waited for the inevitable. He wrote two words that were on display in a black frame next to his coffin at his funeral. Here are the words. Mustn't despair. Mustn't despair. They thought about it and wondered, is he communicating, it was to his wife, but was he also communicating to himself? But regardless, when, when human beings experience the moment when they know they're going to die, it's almost instinctive that they want to send a message. They, they want to share the moment with someone. They want someone to know their story. They need someone to connect to in this moment. But what's important at the moment of the end is someone, not something. It's always someone. That's how we were created by God as we live our life following Jesus. We've been talking about community. We've been talking about groups and, and learning to live in community with one another. And I think it's again in our spiritual DNA that, that we long to be with one another. But we live in a difficult world. Edwin Freeman, a great philosopher, has penned these words and I thought I would read them to you. He says, we live in a broken world. We are surrounded by so much division and hatred and pain. So much suffering and indifference. 
Our world is turning, is turning um, us against them. It's turning into us against them. He said, as, as we assemble each week in this beautiful sanctuary, we sit close to one another, but as your teacher, I worry. I worry about the things that unite us. I worry about the things that divide us. I worry about the things that separate husbands from wives, parents from children. I also worry about divisions between Republicans and Democrats, Orthodox, conservative and liberals, Muslims, Christians and Jews. For that seems to be the world that we live in. Everywhere we look, we see families are divided. Nations are divided. Churches are divided. Our world is divided. We live in a world where the lines are drawn and the divisions are in place. Choose your side. Enlist in your cause. And the beauty of this arrangement is that once we have joined a cause, there's no longer any need to think for ourselves. The script has been written. Our lines are only to be recited. We become then so predictable in our opinions. But this is not what God intended. We are put on this earth not to divide, but to gather the fragments of a broken world and reunite them, heal them, elevate them, and make them sacred and whole once again. He tells this story. A rabbi once asked his students, How do you know when the night has ended and the day has begun? And immediately the students thought they grasped the importance of the question. So they began to shout out answers. The brightest of the students offered an answer. When I look out at the fields and I can distinguish between my field and the field of my neighbors, that's when night has ended and day has begun. A second offered her answer. When I look from the fields and I see a house and I can tell that it's my house, And not the house of my neighbor. That's when the night has ended and the day has begun. A third student offered an answer. When I can distinguish between the animals in my yard. And I can tell the difference between a horse and a cow. That's when I know that night has ended and day has begun. No, shouted the rabbi. You don't understand. You only know how to divide. You divide your house from the house of your neighbor, your field from your neighbor, one animal from another, one color from all the others. Is is that all we can do? Divide, separate, split the world into pieces? Isn't the world broken enough? The rabbi stared back into the faces of the students and with a gentle answer he responded, you know it's, it's gone from dark to daylight when you look into the face of the person beside you. You can see that that person is your brother or your sister. When you can recognize that person as a friend, then finally, finally the night has ended and the day has begun. 
I think in that parable, that story, he summed it up perfectly. That in the world that we live in, with all of the division and the struggle and the arguing and the dividing up between things, when we can look at each other and say, brother, sister, friend, instead of looking at what we have, the differences between us, what we have in common. I love, I think uh, Nathaniel was talking about a scene from a movie. Um, I love Forrest Gump. Um, haven't watched it in a long time. One day, Forrest and, and uh, Jenny, is that, is that her name? Help me out here. Jenny were walking along and they stumbled across her childhood home. Right? An abandoned home at this time. A home that represented to her neglect and abuse and abandonment. And all of the pain that was in her heart that was making her run from life. She looked at it for a while. Then she began to pick up rocks and throw them. And she began to throw with all the gusto and screaming out and throwing and breaking windows. And ah! She finally stopped and Forrest says in his great Forrest Gump theology, You know, Jenny... Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. And that's a brilliant answer. You don't throw rocks. And I thought about this in relationship to Jesus. How does Jesus answer the question... How does Jesus help us overcome the challenge of the world that we live in? Listen to me. If the church of Jesus Christ cannot be united to the point and united through the gospel to overcome the world's challenges, can I ask a simple question? What is the use of the gospel of Jesus? And here's been... One of the areas where we've missed a significant part of the message and the ministry of Jesus, and it's this. Of course, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Of course, He came as the redemptive Lamb of God that died on the cross so that we could have life. The righteous for the unrighteous. Absolutely. But Paul describes another dimension of Jesus Christ that I think we just have not emphasized enough. And it's the answer to this world's problems. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, if you want to go ahead and, and pull up the slide. Starting in verse, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Now I want you to notice a couple of things here, first of all. That it is God who has blessed us with with every spiritual blessing. But it's a different type of 
word used there in the original language. We get the, um, the Beatitudes, blessed are this and blessed are that. That's one type of word. This word here is where we get our word eulogy. So if you've ever been to a funeral and someone stands up to do the eulogy, the word literally means to bless, but it means to praise. It means to adore. It means to call out the goodness. Right? And so when the person gets up to address the audience at a funeral and he's standing behind the casket, he speaks words of adoration and love and the good things. Paul tells us that that is what God is doing for us. That God, to, to begin with, eulogizes us. Words of blessing. Words of love. Said, wow, I never thought of God looking at me that way. God wants to bless. No, God does bless. He chose us in Him before creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Go to the next slide, please. So therefore, we're in chapter 2. Remember that formerly, you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the uncircumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember this, right? By the way, this is us. Here we go. He's introducing us. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. In other words, there were divisions. There was strife. There was problems. You couldn't get along. You, you and I, we were not in the will of God until Jesus Christ comes along. Oh, it's wonderful to think I'm an American Christian, you know, on top of the world. People look up to us. Paul said, not so fast. At one point, you weren't in. We were, we were separate. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise. We were without hope, without God in this world. That was us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That which was separate, that which was different, that which was without hope because of Jesus now has been brought together. Forgiveness of sins? Yes, thank you God for the forgiveness of sins. But here we go with another aspect. Because of Jesus, we've been brought together. He goes on, keep reading. For He Himself, He Himself is our peace. Where is peace found in this world? It's found only in Jesus Christ. Who has made the two groups one. And it was Jesus who destroyed the barrier. I'm going to say it again. It was Jesus Christ who destroyed the barrier. Any barrier that separates human beings from one another. The dividing wall of hostility. What was going on, by the way, at the time of this writing? Jews and Gentiles. How are we going to get along with each other? Those Gentiles, they're pigs. They're unclean. They're not God's people. And you guys are going around saying, let's welcome them in. No! Paul spent his life trying to show these two groups of people, at least two groups of people, that Jesus destroyed the hostility between them. By setting aside in his flesh the will with its commands and regulations. His purpose, pretend like you don't see that. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Right? Thus making peace 
and in one body to reconcile both of them to God. This needs to be underlined in your Bible through the cross. Through the cross. We can be reconciled. Through the cross, we can destroy every barrier that stands between us. Because of the cross of Jesus, there should be no differences in us in the way that we look at each other. And I thought about that idea. How does the cross do that? What is the cross about? I thought it was just forgiving me of my sins and then I just go live how I want to. Right? I'm an American Christian and I just show up to church and I sing a few songs and I give a little bit and I go live however I want to. Right? And I go home and I start... Those people over there, they're, they're not right. They're not, and those people believe it. And politically, those people over there, and socially, and they live on that side. Right? And just, because I'm, I'm just saved. I've just been forgiven of my sins. Paul says, no, you've got to understand, there are more to it than just forgiveness of sins. It is our... What's the word I'm looking for? It is not only our responsibility, it is our privilege to take the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world... And reconcile the world. And guess where it begins? Here's the big... Guess where it begins? Right here. If the Heartland Church of Christ doesn't make it a supreme goal to practice unity and love and care, what message do we have to the world? Say, well, I'll go out there and tell them, you need Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and then come be with us. And they say, that's great, but I don't want to go in your church where you're fighting all the time. You don't love each other. You don't care. Right? You ever felt like that? You guys fight worse than the world does. It's because you missed an aspect of the power of the gospel. Since I've already started meddling, let me just keep on going, Stan. If the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't able to overcome racial barriers, ethnic barriers, cultural barriers, and language barriers, there isn't really much power in the gospel. I love this church. We do. I guess I just need to tell you what's on my heart. There's another group. That meets here. That we say the language barrier is too tough. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ must overcome all barriers. Right? I don't, I, I don't mean we have to. We're, we're all together all the time. But I think we are saying something about what we believe about the powerlessness of the gospel when we don't pursue unity. And when we are not in each other's lives and loving each other and caring for each other and serving one another, we're proclaiming a weak gospel. So he says... It's by the cross. What is the cross? The cross is this. Jesus surrendering everything to the Father 
to go to the cross. The cross is dying to self so that others may live. The cross is the destruction of all human pride. To say, I lay down my life for you. The cross is the extreme example of love that is nearly impossible to put into words. You want to destroy the walls of hostility in this world? It's through the cross. Surrender. Eliminate pride. Love. Give. It's not popular in the world that we live. It's not popular in this country, right? I think you got one more slide. A couple more. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. You were far away. You were a long way from Jesus and He came preaching it. You weren't in. And to those who were near, for through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Is there one more? Consequently now, listen, you and I, we are no longer foreigners and strangers. God forbid that we live together as foreigners and strangers. Amen? Can I get an amen? But we're citizens. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Himself as the one who holds everything up, right? The chief cornerstone. How do we get to love and care and minister to one another? What do we have in common? Jesus Christ. What do we have to talk about? Jesus. What is the motivation to serve and to tear down walls of hostility? Jesus Christ. Let me try one more and see if you can answer. What is the greatest hope that we have in this world? And so here's my prayer for us. And I hope this is our prayer. That we learn to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. That we learn to see the world with a heart. Again, not to look at others and look at the world as, and find those things that separate us, but find those things that unite us. So that when the night ends and the daylight beckons, we're able to look at each other and say, Brother, sister, friend, thank you, God, for uniting us. Can I tell you, it won't be easy at times. I have to learn to practice unselfishness. And I have to get out of my comfort zone. But in the end, that's what Jesus did for me. And it's worth it. And that's what will change the world. That's why we make the commitment to worship together, to study the Bible together, to sing together, to get in groups together. It's because we've been called to a mission to change the demonic world that's around us. And we do it through love. 
Let's stand and sing the invitation song. If we can pray for you or help you this morning, you can come to the front right now.